0: Your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kanapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Socks Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host, James Fox, alongside us. This is the Future Socks Podcast. I say that because our group, Socks Machine, Future Socks, that's what we do. We released another podcast here on this channel. So if you're listening on Spotify, Apple, PodBay, wherever you get your podcasts, scroll down a little bit and you'll see the Future Socks Roundup. That's where Elijah Evans and I go over the top performances of the week. Kind of recap some standout prospects of the Chicago White Sox affiliates across AAA, AA, AA single A, both levels. And soon, the ACL and Dominican Summer League as that league, uh, both leagues begin in June. So looking forward to that as well. Just wanted to throw that out there because we're working on it. That's our second episode, the most recent drop. So if you could listen to it, give it a like, share it, do your thing help promote our product. We continue to do this for you because we really love doing it. Obviously we're White Sox fans, but the support you show us every week, every day on Sox Machine and Future Sox makes us want to do this more and more and make it as good as can be. So James, welcome back to the podcast. Really good to talk to you. I know you have a lot to get off your chest today, so I'm not going to make you wait very long, but just let me run down a few topics that we have on hand for today's episode and I'll let you get right to it. The White Sox, man, they stink. The big league club is not doing very well. So we have big picture stuff that we have to talk about that includes the future of the front office. So I'll let James go on. uh, What he believes is going to happen over the next year. Plus look, it's may. I don't know how you feel about us talking about this as a listener, the future of the White Sox in 2024 and beyond. But look, the writing's on the wall, essentially. And we talked to Josh Nelson a couple of weeks ago. He gave us a little bit of a timeline. That timeline is shrinking quickly because the Sox just don't know how to win ball games. Anyway, Baseball America released a mock draft of the Major League Baseball draft, which we will be covering in July. Can't wait for that. Jonathan Mayo of Major League Baseball Pipeline also released a mock draft, so we'll go over that. Some Noah Schultz news, Oscar Colas is dominating in AAA, what else is news? it's kind of what we had expected, a crochet update, as well as some international marketplace preview for the 2023 signings. We also have a special guest on the podcast coming up, we'll get into details later in the episode. James, this White Sox team, man, it's making it really hard for us personally to stay interested and engaged, and a team that has a bunch of guys who are underperforming, whether it's roster fillers or core members of this group
2: yeah i mean it's so brutal and the problem is that it's just they're just kind of buried right it's like you're 14 and 27 as of us recording on sunday you know what i mean so it's just like i get it they're in a bad division i don't think the twins are very good but like if you were just a little bit closer to 500 right like i would buy into okay maybe like Liam Hendricks and Gary Crochet come back and Luis Robert keeps doing what he's doing and Yuan Moncada stays healthy and like they're in it. Right. But I mean at 14 and 27 with the second worst run differential in baseball, or at least in the American league, you know, like when you're 13 under 500, like it's even tough. You know, you start winning two out of three, like that's not good enough. Like at a certain point you got to win 15 to 17 and with their starting pitching and and the way the offense just like, stops performing at times i just like don't know that that's possible so you know obviously like we don't always promote like a ton of math on this podcast but just to get to 81 and 81 and i don't want to be 81 and 81 i i don't think that's a very good outcome for the season but like just to get there you're talking about they would have to finish 67 and 54 just to get to 500 and like if you think the division takes 85 to win you're looking at 71 and 50 I mean, is there like anything about this season to this point that has like given you any hope that that this team can do either one of those things?
1: I can't say that it has, because everywhere I look, you know, it's somewhat of the same story and it's starting to get frustrating. And I think this is where we're going with this is like the front office is observing their guys who they believe to be the core players missing chunks of seasons consecutively and it clearly hurts the product because you know you you want everybody to play together but Moncada is out for chunks at a time Aloy again a long stint on the IL Anderson starting the year and when he was on the IL lost 10 in a row you see Andrew Vaughn who you were expecting to um, help alleviate some of the pressure loss you know Jose Abreu the production's not there from Andrew Vaughn there's so many issues inherently on the roster that we're already worrisome at the beginning of the year. And now as the season's going on, we see DFAs, we see underperformance, we see injuries. And then James, as you're talking about the starting rotation, it's just not good enough. So that leads me to the question is, are you confident that this group in the front office is capable of putting together over the next three years, a plan to regain relevance? No.
2: And I mean, like, look, I think I've been one that's you know, kind of been accused of like letting the front office off the hook a little bit because of ownership. But I think like, even if that were the case, I don't think this front office knows how to work under this ownership group. So even if it's that right, like, no, but the conundrum that you have is like, you do have some pieces that you very likely have to trade at this deadline. Right. And I see it on Twitter and, you know, White Sox fans everywhere. It's like, oh, do you want Rickon making these trades? And it's like, not necessarily no, but like, There's no way that they're going to clean out the front office, bring somebody new in to make deadline trades like that's not going to happen. Right. So then I think like looking big picture, I think the best thing they could do would be to whatever fire Rikon, reassign Rikon, whatever. And look, we don't usually do this on this show. Right. But like Kenny Williams is around. I think you let Kenny Williams lead the search for a new president of baseball operations something that they don't have and and this is like very idealist right but there are names like david stearns is available and there's all sorts of you know if somebody was given full control in chicago right there's lots of sitting gms that i think you could hire as as your president of baseball operations now, it seems pie in the sky that, like, 87-year-old Jerry Reinsdorf is going to do a thing like that. But, like, there's an opportunity here to do it and clean this thing out if you want. Like, I, I just think they're, like, too deficient in so many areas. And we've talked about things that we like, about Chris Getz and Mike Shirley and Marco Patti. And, like, that's great. But I think, like, you know, the person that's in charge should should decide those things. And one of the biggest issues with the White Sox, something that we've often talked about, is we don't know who's responsible for what. You have Rick Hahn and Ken Williams and Jerry Reinsdorf. And like when we don't know who's responsible for which moves, there's nobody to blame. And that's like the real White Sox way, in my opinion. So, I, I mean, looking at, you know, even like if we think that's not realistic, right? Like what is realistic if they're really bad, like real bad, right? Top three pick bad, like you're losing 90 some games. I do think something probably happens. Now, is that the, the long rumored Chris gets to GM or, you know, Kenny makes the trades and somebody else comes in you know like there there are guys all over the league like james harris in cleveland is like an assistant gm like would he take a gm title in chicago or you know similarly to like you know there's other assistant gms all over baseball there's raquel ferreira um in boston people like that like would they come here and work as the gm under kenny maybe who knows but i just kind of feel like anything short of you know, like a president of baseball ops type, like head above your franchise. Like it's just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic at this point. We've seen this over and over and over again. And like, I've just completely lost faith that they're going to be able to make any sort of meaningful change just due to like the landscape on the roster and, you know, like the farm system that that we talk about every week. So it just, it, it just seems like pretty dire like at this point.
1: I wonder about the future of the franchise. We bring this up constantly, and this has been my feeling since the offseason, based on the way they went about it, is they really want to count on the development of their prospects. Uh, You look at their farm system, their top 30, a lot of them are draft picks, almost all of them, essentially, are draft picks, international marketplace signings, and that's good. Still a bottom 10 system. Now, we give them a little bit of leeway considering – you know, they graduated everybody in 2019 going into 2020. And it was, we call it a reset and it is under Mike Shirley. It is a reset, but now you're heading into year four, your fourth draft. Stuff's got to start churning out here. If you believe the best course of action to win within the Chicago White Sox organization is to believe in what you have internally. And that that's coaches developing talent, right? That's infrastructure that, creates a pathway to the major leagues that sets up success when you get there. And it's really disappointing when you go into 2023 believing in a guy like Oscar Colas, who was touted to be ready, and we'll get to this conversation shortly, but clearly at the big league level had issues at the plate. And it's all a learning experience for these young players. When you set expectations for those who you believe will help propel you to the to competitiveness and to win a world series it's just not feasible when there's a roster that looks like this with the chicago white Sox: inexperience injury history not a lot of winning attached to the names and it's just starting to get to the point that's why we're talking about it where yeah we don't really discuss this we don't discuss the future of the front office because who are we to say but we're fans and we feel you Because we're pissed like I'm I've gotten to the point where I've called the season and I never do this this early. And I'm usually the optimistic one, James, because I look at what the White Sox possibly see. And what I believe the White Sox see is no future with this current roster, which means 2024 is about resurfacing whatever type of value that they can generate this year. And then try to rebuild going into 2025 as a competitor, because I don't see it unless there's some sort of pathway decidedly chosen at some point before the deadline that has to happen.
2: This season's over. Like, I mean, this, this is like, you know, look, barring like, uh, like we kind of talked about, right. Winning 23 of 25, which seems insane, right? Yeah. Then, then great. Then you're, then you're right back in it. And, you've basically turned the math on its head, but I mean, they're just not good enough to do that. Right. So then I think you kind of mentioned it. I think 2024 is really important because what do you think you are regardless of who's at the head of your organization, right? Are you going to win next year? There's going to be guys that are here, right? Like I think Luis Robert is definitely and Andrew Vaughn and look, we could talk about some of his shortcomings, but you know, like those guys are going to be here, right? So so how much do you consider moving at this deadline with the current people in place? And does it matter like if those current people might not be in place this winter, right? Because I think like, look, national guys, like I saw even today, like John Morosi, like talking about Lucas Giolito, he, he seems like the biggest name on the market. Like Lucas Giolito is going to get traded. And I think like Joe Kelly has been pretty good. Those guys are free agents at the end of the year. Those guys are getting moved, and then you have your Lance Lins and Mike Clevenger and Yasmani Grandal. And look, I don't think anybody wants Elvis Andrews, right? But it's like those guys are on one-year deals. Like I think at this point, like you know, whatever for anything, right? Like if Lance Lynn gets it together, I still don't think the White Sox pickup is eighteen million-dollar option for next year because his buyout's one million dollars. Like, do you send him to a contender if he can figure it out, right? That stuff's the easy stuff. The question for that I have for you then is like Tim Anderson has a $14 million club option for next year, and then he's a free agent, right? Dylan Cease has two more years after this one. And I know Cease is struggling, but like Dylan Cease is represented by Scott Boris. There likely isn't a contract extension coming. I have no reason to believe that this ownership group is going to pay Tim Anderson $150 million, like on the free market, you know, same thing, you know, for Dylan Cease. And and then you get to Liam Hendricks, who everybody loves. And I love that he's on my favorite team. But I mean, you know, like if you're not going to win in 24, I think those kind of become your big chips. And it kind of becomes like, okay, do you do that sort of thing at this year's deadline? Or is that like a topic for the winter? Those are the things that are fascinating to me that I'm going to keep an eye on. Because look, I mean, if they want to like own this trade deadline, they can. I just don't know how much of a step back you want to take what they think the future looks like and who's even like going to be in charge of this thing. You know, come November, essentially.
1: I go back to what I said in in deciding a path, you'll go with full conviction and where you're going next, because if you're going to decide that 2024 is about creating a roster of not better caliber players, but something different. Some sort of shake up to this roster because obviously they need it, but I think 2025 is the goal. And when you bring up Tim Anderson, is he going to be around in 2025? Is Colson Montgomery going to be ready in 2025? Is Jose Rodriguez your shortstop until Colson Montgomery is ready? Is Lenin Sosa involved in this mix? Are you going to have a filler free agent until your internal options are ready to play at the big league level? And again, it goes back to... You know how we discuss the farm system standing currently, and I'm really looking forward to the draft this year because we're going to be talking to so many guests about where the farm stands, uh, like compared to the competitive window and the future. So that's a topic for another day. But that's essentially where the White Sox stand right now. And when you say that in 2016 you're going to commit to a rebuild, and the payoff is one year where you believed seriously that they can make a run. And I'm talking 2021, 2020 was a nice little surprise fell short, but 2021 had it 2022, a complete disaster 2023. You're kidding yourselves. If you believe you can just run it back, essentially with some of the talent that's underperformed and hasn't been able to stay on the field. So I know Sox fans have heard this over and over and over again, but this is how we feel. This is how James and I are feeling currently. I know you're frustrated as a Sox fan as well, trying to map out the future of this organization with the internal options that they have is going to take a little bit of patience because they're not complete. And it really does have a lot to do in the future of this franchise with what's going to come this offseason and at the deadline, because the decisions, not only the player personnel side are important, but man, the front office it's hard to make excuses. It's hard to defend this front office, right James? Like I'm just I'm done with it and we've gone on for a while. We have other topics to get to, but that's just all I have to say about that because man, I I'm just sick of watching the same old same old failure happen over and over again.
2: Well, look, there, I mean there are restrictions from ownership, right? Yeah. But like the, these guys have been in place since like 2000, man. Like you know mm-hmm. the the owner that you work for now. So some of the deals don't you know, it, like I said, like two of the main areas, you know, I think like over the last five years to me and look, obviously like they talk, we, like we went through the whole Manny Machado thing, but like in hindsight, like, I feel like Bryce Harper should have been your top top, ta- your top target, because I think he would have came like if your owner would have been willing to like make him the centerpiece of the franchise. So missing that off season and then hiring Tony La Russa mm-hmm. and look, we've seen, this is not all Tony La Russa's fault. Right. But it, that just like, wasn't the right decision to make because i think like now like some of these guys that you've signed to these extensions like were they destined to like not work out no but there was definitely still like growth and development that needed to occur at the major league level and that did not happen during that regime it was kind of like you know they rolled the balls out to win another t- to win a title and it just like didn't work cuz they needed more than that so i think like those two points in history are huge right but like then you just you just see the same things that took place and look, they want a title in 05 patching things together, but it's like, you know, since then, like I remember the t- 2009 to 2016 White Sox, it was yep. just like the same nonsense every year where it's like, okay, they have 40 million to spend and you, you know, it's like an old Kenny Williams philosophy that we often talk about where he would rather sign five players than one. Right. And then I, I think I've joked on the podcast, like, yeah, he'd rather sign five bad players instead of one good one. Cause that's like what it often turns into. And it doesn't make any sense. And like, you don't know who's making what decisions. And it's just, th- this is like the same thing where Rick Hahn said that they're mired in mediocrity in 2016. Right. And you had like five or six really good players, but the rest of your roster was just not good enough. Well, that that's kind of what it looks like right now. Like, they they have a few like really good players but you just way too often have like a Hanser Alberto playing. And that's like, it just kind of boils down to what this is. And there's, there's issues with drafting. There's issues with development. There's just issues everywhere. And we've seen it for 20 years at this point. Like it's just time it's, it's time. And it, you know, it's, it's eerily reminiscent to, the John Pax and Garforman regime, like at the end. And I've always been hesitant to kind of compare Kenny and Rick to those guys because Kenny and Rick did win a title, but man, that was a long time ago now. And this just kind of feels like now what that felt like at the end.
1: There it is. I think uh, James, you speak for so many of us as Sox fans. I think it's very well put. So we'll, we'll put a bow on that, take a break, come back. We have so much more to get to, we, uh, man, when we get on that topic of the white Sox, making us sad, can't help but continue our rambling so we'll take a break come back you're listening to the future socks podcast more to come stick with us
0: there's no i in team but there is one in indeed and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours when you're hiring you need indeed instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all
1: all right, James, we just got done talking about the future of the Chicago White Sox. What better way to celebrate what's to come than a couple of mock drafts? 2023 Major League Baseball draft is beginning in July across All-Star Weekend. We'll also have a live show for you, so check us out whenever the draft is going on. You want some coverage, hang out with us at Future Sox and Sox Machine. We'll have more information as the date gets closer. A little tease for you Sox fans, because uh, we, we need to... We need to figure this out. But James, mock drafts. Baseball America has one. Carlos Colazzo, our guy, uh put together one, as well as Jonathan Mayo of Major League Baseball Pipeline. What did you see and did you like where uh or who was put in the White Sox place at fifteen?
2: Yeah, so not not particularly early on, but like we kinda talk I've talked about how like I think this draft class is really good. It's the best one since I've started covering it for sure. And a lot of that has to do with the short draft in 2020. There were a lot of high school guys that just like kind of didn't go pro and that's turned into like an awesome college class for this year. So, you know, the White Sox are picking at 15. They, they should get, a pretty good player there you know just like one issue for me like and look it's it, these guys are doing early mocks like th- these don't really mean anything but like carlos collazo of baseball america has miami third baseman Yoandy yo-yo morales um he's a guy that we've talked about we talked about him with joe doyle i know that this is a player that the white Sox do like they've liked him dating back to high school they just like didn't have the money in 2020 to get it done that he's got a lot of pop um he should stay at third But I mean, it's just like another guy that's like a power profile corner guy that like doesn't really control the strike zone. It's not a ton of walks. You know, he's had wood bat success in the summer. So that's like something they like. But I just, I don't know, man. Like after seeing the Colson Montgomery pick and like the high upside type of arms that, that Mike Shirley likes, like I would much prefer this year to just take another high school infielder, center fielder, you know, or just go with pitching instead of a college corner guy. Like I'm just not a big fan of that. And like, if you're going to go college, Kyle Teal, the catcher from Virginia makes sense because like catchers with his profile make a lot of sense. I just don't know if he'll get to them. And then, you know, Jonathan Mayo of baseball of uh, MLB pipeline did their first one. And I think they're going to alternate like pretty much weekly. He has Enrique Bradfield center fielder from Vandy And like, look, Bradfield's like a pretty good player. He's definitely going to stay in center. It might be 80 grade run. But I mean, something that Jim Callis often tells us on here, his least favorite player type is the guy that can run and can't really do anything else. And that's not really fair for Bradfield because he can hit a little bit. But look, it might be 40 power at the most. And the White Sox are not an organization that I think like gets the most out of that. It's just like reminiscent of Nick Madrigal with a guy that just, doesn't impact the baseball and look he could in other ways right he can run he plays defense and center like i'm selling the bat a little bit short but it's just like a profile that i'm just not a big fan of like if you're willing to take enrique bradfield at 15 out of college just take dylan head from hf because Hmm. i mean he's three years younger right and there's a chance that the power develops a little bit more. Like I would just prefer the younger player at that point. So look, none of this stuff's set in stone. It's the first two Mm -hmm. mocks and we'll, we'll have, you know, content throughout the rest of this month and pretty much all of June will be draft stuff. Um, So you'll get more of my thoughts on who, who I'd prefer this type of thing in both scenarios. I it's would just, I would just not be a fan of this.
1: All right. More optimism. So would you say that the White Sox should take best player available, James? I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, we don't have to talk about that. Okay, no, hey,
2: whoever they take, they'll say was their best player available. Of course, yeah, That's it's on their it board.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about the future. Um, I, I guess I should say I'm, I'm thinking about what route the White Sox may do in the draft. And I, you know, I love pitching. I think I might prefer, like for the first time, maybe last year too. I was hoping that they took a college pitcher, but a, a developed college pitcher in the first round that could fly through the system maybe in a year and a half. I would be very excited if they did that. Uh, we'll see. Uh, more and more as the names start to trickle on. I know James has a ton of information. Josh Nelson as well talked about the draft a couple of episodes ago. So if you want more information, you can look at our playlist of future socks and check it out. Really appreciate you guys subscribing. We have episodes for you every Tuesday as well as the Future Socks Roundup, which we release on the weekends now. Moving forward, James, another bit of news: Noah Schultz has been out with a forearm strain since the beginning of April, and he's been rehabbing an extended spring trying to get right. But it sounds like there's a positive update. He had not needed surgery out of the forearm strain. The White Sox decided to let him uh, rehab and like take it easy, taking it slow, making sure he's okay. And it seems like uh, things are trending in the right direction.
2: Yeah, it seems like it for now. I mean, I think, I think they called it a flexor strain. They were like afraid to say forearm. And obviously like Davis Martin is out with a forearm injury right now, which is generally a precursor to very bad things. Um, But yeah, so like Noah Schultz um, threw to live hitters in Arizona within the past couple of days, and I had heard that it was like twenty-one pitches and uh, five five strikeouts out of six hitters. So obviously, like the stuff looks pretty good. Um, it sounds like he's gonna pitch in a in an extended spring game on Friday. And then if all goes well there, I think within the next four weeks or so we should see him. And I think the plan was for him to go to Canapolis. So we'll see whether he goes to Canapolis or whether they start him like in the uh the Arizona Complex League, because the complex mm-hmm. leagues start the first week in June, I believe. So yeah, I mean, like Rick Khan said, kind of, you know, I thought an affiliate by June for Schultz. And that looks like you know, it looks like that that's going to hold. So look, you just kind of want this kid to get as many innings as possible under his belt this year. So I think him finishing the year in Kanapolis would be wonderful at this point. And I think everybody just kind of wants to see him pitch and get updates. And we'll definitely get more updates if he's in Kanapolis than if he's in Arizona.
1: Right. And I believe, well, I'm with you. I think if he does finish at a full season affiliate, that's, that's a win considering where his season began. And Look, if, if he's not ticketed for surgery, I, you know, that's great news, obviously, but it's always in the back of your mind from a guy with that type of release point and velocity and, and just stuff, length, all of it. And, you know, when you're dealing with an injury and you're coming back, nothing replicates live game situations outside of just doing it. So you can warm up, you can do your drills, you can practice, you can throw to batters and BP, but once you get into a game, it's important for the White Sox to know how his body responds, and I think that's where we're at with Noah Schultz. After getting up, pitching in a live game, resting after a couple of days, seeing how his arm responds, of course, uh, as well as the rest of his body, and then they move slowly from there. So that's kind of the process in which you know we hear them. we're going to take it slow. That's what happens. So just to keep that in mind. But positive, positive news, in my opinion, if you're hearing about Noah Schultz throwing after what they call the flexor strain to begin the season. So, all right, moving on to some more news. Hey, Oscar Colas, what do you know, James? Facing what we consider lesser competition to his skill set, absolutely dominating. Uh, his OPS is over 1,100 with, and he's batting over 400 right now in AAA Charlotte. It's good to see, obviously, because that's what we expected. And we talked about this in the offseason leading into the year. Oscar Colas probably won't get a lot out of beginning the season in A Charlotte because he we know he can mash and he can handle that pitching, even though he has a free swinging tendency. It was up to him to learn at the major league level. However, unfortunately he struggled so vitally that he had to get sent down and like there was no other course of action for the White Sox then to just allow him to get better at bats at AAA Charlotte. So that's where we stand right now with Oscar Kolos, James, what's the future that you can kind of foresee regarding the White Sox uh, right fielder?
2: Well, I mean, if things don't get better in the majors, like I got, I don't really know how much longer he needs to stay in Charlotte. Like it doesn't really make any sense. Right. Cause we, we kind of talked about this. Like we didn't, necessarily want him starting in the international league because i expected him to do this and then i expected him to come up and chase and have all the issues that he had regardless he just like couldn't really get himself out of it and the team was trying to win right so they didn't really have the luxury of like letting him fail up there but i mean it was like a 43 percent chase rate in the majors like look we saw some glimpses of him like looking pretty good but now he's in charlotte 10 of his 18 hits have gone for extra bases so far you know it's just like doesn't seem to be a challenge. So at some point he's just going to have to figure out how to do it when everybody throws 95 with really good breaking stuff, right? Like the, the problem is he's going to have to figure it out in the big leagues. Um, James Feegan of the athletic wrote, you know, something over on the weekend and kind of talked to, he talked to Cameron Seitzer, who's the hitting coach in Charlotte. And, and they, they've talked about approach a lot. You know, it's like Cameron Seitzer said, it's more so, Colas's approach he says because when his legs go a little bit overly aggressive then his body and mechanics get out of whack as well just like anybody else so really just honing in on his tempo his approach direction you know and they you know they still think that like the sky is the limit for him but I mean Andy Barquette talked about last year how Colas just basically grabs a bat and goes up there and thinks that he's like better than the pitcher is and all throughout the minors like he's been able to do that I don't expect that to change anytime soon in Charlotte so you know, as far as the forecast, like, I I think it's just, it's, it's kind of up to him, right? He's going to have to figure out the majors and when to attack and when not to attack. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what, what your thoughts are on like how quickly we should see him again. You know, I know there are all sorts of you know, there's more in this piece just about some of the hitting drills they're doing and talking to him about hunting in his area and his tunnel and eliminating the outer third. And look, those are like some of the machines they use. And that's their focus of, you know, like the the way he goes about his his business. So, and it's one of those things that I think we we've kind of seen the, the change that some of these big league hitters have struggled with too, right? Like not going up there without a plan. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're trying to go up there with a plan, but I think it's led to some of the struggles. So maybe it does like, you know, maybe they do figure it out at some point. Like we we've seen the change in Luis Robert. So maybe it does happen for more of these guys. You might be buried by the time it happens, but you know, maybe it works out in the long run, but it seems like those are the types of things that they're trying to focus on with coloss And we'll see how long they think he just needs to be in Charlotte before he comes up. Cause like he, he's more important than, you know, some of these other guys that are going to be playing outfield for the White Sox, like in the big leagues.
1: I think that's a difficult question to answer for us because we're not around the organization. We're not in person in Charlotte. Maybe we can talk to Jeff and see what type of specific things that Colas is working on and what the coaching staff wants to see before he's ready to come back up. Like the pro the productions, there clearly and i don't think it's just based purely on production i think it's what the white sox are watching in his tendencies and some of the drills but when you're flailing at pitches so clearly out of the strike zone that were never strikes something has to be refined there so i think it's a difficult question to answer at this point i know we're going to see oscar Colas again once somebody gets hurt i mean they're filling the rosters with jake Marisnik and the like at this point but man it's just A never-ending cycle of guys until the White Sox players that they identified uh, are ready to take the leap. And unfortunately, we haven't seen a lot of that over the last year plus. Man, it's just been so positive on this episode today. Uh, And we're going to continue with the positivity as Garrett Crochet is a topic of conversation. Because we have to monitor this development. And we always bring this up whenever Garrett Crochet is the topic of conversation. I want to see him as a starter, James. I don't know how many times I have to say it. I think it's encouraging that he's up and down multiple times per rehab appearance. I think it's encouraging now that, you know, this is what we were kind of like, we were balancing between, if the White Sox are good, Garrett Crochet may not have a spot on the rotation, but now since the White Sox trajectory is kind of, you know, trending downward, maybe this is the perfect time for the White Sox to develop Crochet into a pitcher. What do you think as a starter?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think like honestly, like the loose plan right now should be Garrett Crochet starting for the White Sox in twenty twenty four. And I know like there might be like a severe innings limit where like one twenty is the max or something. And like when the White Sox were a definite contender, I think on this very podcast I said like, no, they can't do that because it's you know, you just like need more certainty. But I and like now at this point, I think at a minimum he should be throwing multiple innings out of the bullpen, right? So I think like single inning like setup guy or whatever should be completely off the table for this kid. Um He's still young enough to where like you could start the transition. He wants to start. They drafted him as a starter, you know? Um So yeah, I, I think at this point, I think when he comes up, you got to get him as many innings as you possibly can with the plan, the loose plan for him to like, try to pitch out of the rotation in 2024 for you. So I think, you know, maybe some good can come of this.
1: I, you know what? I can't help it, but I enjoy the hopelessness of a lost season because there's no pressure, no stress. I'm not worried about anything. Yeah. The White Sox may lose by seven, like get three hits shut out, whatever, but it's cool. Like there's some new players in the lineup, some guys that Uh, We're cast offs trying to make a team for next season on the field in front of maybe, you know, 1100 people at Sox park on a Tuesday. I like that stuff. It's, it's nice for me. Um, Well, yeah, but that's, I mean,
2: that's why I think I said, like, we did our predictions at Sox machine. And I said, the worst case scenario would be the white Sox going 500 and people are like, what do you mean? And I'm like, because like, like the false hope of like, being three games out all season right mm-hmm. you don't capitalize and trade anybody nobody gets fired that that's where like sometimes like 65 and 97 isn't the worst case scenario like it's just not you have to like use what you have in front of you to your advantage sometimes and like look another good draft this year right picking at 15 like i've kind of liked what mike shirley's done obviously we can look at those drafts from 16 to 20 and kind of identify what has set the the organization back so far but i mean if he has another draft like he had last year and then you set yourself up in 2024 for like a pick in the top 5 and look i know it's easy to get cynical and say they're just going to draft somebody that sucks anyway like what else? but like that hasn't really been the case lately so yeah like i would always prefer to be one of the five worst teams in baseball in instead of being mediocre because it opens up avenues to be better later so i know not everybody thinks that way that's fine i don't Mm -hmm. i don't i don't expect everybody to agree with me but yeah like how many times did we say it last year like i I wish they would have been buried last year so we could stop paying attention but they (laughs) kept clawing back in and like while some i think think like they might claw back in this time i think we've just talked about how insurmountable it is like the the twins are faulty but you know, like if they play 500 baseball the rest of the way, like they're going to run away with this thing. And if the Sox play 500 baseball the rest of the way, they're going to have a top 10 pick. So, you know, it's just, you know, the the April and May has been a disaster and there haven't been many signs, you know, showing that June, July, August, like seems like it's going to be
1: that much better. And when they were winning across the first couple of months and maybe outside of the first 10 days it's low scoring one, two run games and that's just not sustainable. And you know, I, I can't help, but look forward. Like I do this every year. Once the bears start their preseason schedule, everybody starts to shift their focus towards football because typically teams in Chicago are out of the playoff hunt. And, there's just nobody paying attention to the White Sox and it's just so barren over there. But I like it. I I, I kinda like get nice and cozy watching the White Sox when nobody else is. And so this is what I'm I'm back in my happy place, the 2016 stretch ahead of twenty twenty. Yeah,
2: like <laughs> I'm I'm listening to podcasts to find out how good Connor Bedard's gonna be. Oh, you no. know, that's like where I'm at. Right. Exactly. Oh, no. Yeah. I know.
1: It's crazy. One last thing before we wrap up this episode, we get to talk to Ben Badler next week. It's going to be a treat for you because it's a big deal that the White Sox are always prominent in the international marketplace. James has some thoughts Um, before we wrap up the episode, James, I want want you to share what you know a little bit about the international market in 2023, considering that we get to talk to Ben Badler. We're going to learn more about the new faces and some of the faces that are uh, littered across the top 30 in the White Sox farm system.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I do want to touch on like some of the new additions from this this year's group, like with Ben. But I mean, when you have Ben, like we have to do some big picture stuff. Like I think we need to talk about some guys, like Christian Mayna. Like for those that maybe are listening to the podcast for the first time or just started, Ben Badler was the first one that kind of tipped us off to Christian Mayna, and now we see he's a twenty year old like in in Double A doing very good things. So there are some players that have been in the system for a while that we're going to want him to touch on and. Just like their strategy overall and Marco Patti and those type of things. So, I don't know how much we'll spend on this current class, but I will say the White Sox, you know, they still have like $1.5 million in international space. And look, it's easy to get skeptical, right? Like, what are they going to do with that money? Are they going to trade it? Are they going to sign somebody? It is weird that they still have that much in this class. Okay. But, you know, Ben wrote up the top 100 bonuses. Um, in the international class so far and, and the, uh, you know, the full international reviews are coming, but the AL Central's not up yet as of this recording, but Luis Reyes was their top signing 17 year old pitcher out of the Dominican Republic. You know, he's listed at 55. That doesn't mean he's the 55th best prospect. It's just, you know, it goes by bonus amount and he got. Um, 700k. So it's the third highest bonus for a Dominican pitcher. He spent a lot of time in Florida pitching in perfect game events. You know, we kind of talked about this after he signed. He was touching 93 at the time, but has since grown to six foot two, one ninety, and now he reaches 96. There's, you know, there's some issues with control, but there's there's no effort to the delivery. Good extension out front. Feel for two secondaries. Um, so, you know, it's supposed to be a good changeup. So, you know, it's, it shouldn't really be a surprise if Luis Reyes ends up being one of the top pitchers, like in the white Sox system pretty soon, you know, he could be a top 30 guy very quickly in their system. Um, and, and he should start this year in the Dominican summer league, I think early June. So another guy for them, Abraham Nunez, and there's only a couple here. He got the same $700,000 bonus Six two one seventy five outfielder. um, that hits right-handed he's the son of former like utility guy um abraham nunez but it's not the one that everybody's thinking of this one played for the marlins and royals um so it is is described as an athletic outfielder with good bat speed to perform well during amateur tournaments in the dr marco patty kind of likes guys that have performed well in those types of like youth tournaments so that you know i guess that part's interesting and then um scouts that like him praise the bat control from the right side and his strike zone judgment. Um, their strength projection for gap power, and he should stay in center field at least for a little while. And then one more um, that I thought was interesting. He's listed all the way down at 79 only because of the $500,000 bonus. A so catcher from Venezuela, Angelo Hernandez known more for um, his defense, catch and throw skills moves well behind the plate is an advanced receiver. Um, so, I mean, you know, you're basically buying the defense at a, at a premium position and there's, and there's power, but it's definitely a power over hit profile. So those are like the, the three most noteworthy names, but they really haven't spent that much money yet. So, you know, the white Sox have kind of made a habit of adding guys late. So I would just say to, you know, keep your eye out. They got a hundred, one and a half million dollars still. We'll ask Ben if there's like anybody to keep an eye on, but Typically, it's like a you know twenty year old Cuban, a la Lloyd L. Shepey who's who's been pretty good in the minors. Like if they sign a guy like that out of nowhere here, it shouldn't be that surprising because they do have money left over.
1: That's James Fox. You can follow him on Twitter at James Fox nine one seven. I'm at Rankin nine zero six. Follow us at Future Sox, all one word. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. We talk to you every Tuesday. Check out the roundup as well for more White Sox content. We go over specific performances from white Sox prospects across all their affiliates so for james fox my name is mike rankin ben badler next week right here on this podcast thanks so much for listening we'll talk to you all next tuesday